Epulikako. Heavenly Father, you are gracious and wonderful to behold. Every words in the songs that we sang just now are true. They are fully acceptable. You tell us to come to you when we are weak, when we are lost, and you will be our strength. You are kind and gracious. You see us in our faults. You see us when we fall. And you are lifting us up as we rise. You are the wonderful counselor. All of your people gathered here tonight are here for one reason. To seek you out where you may be found. So we ask that you would reveal yourself to us through your word, through the message that will be delivered tonight with all of our hearts. Hear every word that is shared and know that it is your truth. Would you still us and center us? There are so many things that want to grab our attention. And yet, in the stillness and the silence, you are there. We pray that all of us here would find you tonight. That we would see your face and feel nothing but joy and peace. That no baggage we have with us would ever be bigger than the cross. That our guilt and shame were laid on your shoulders. And now we can look to you with faces radiant like Stephen, knowing that you smile upon us, you love us, you heal us, you care for us. And through your spirit, would we find truth tonight that strengthens us and helps us to endure for the rest of this week until we meet in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one meditator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and, and an apostle. I am telling the truth. 
I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. Father, we ask that those songs we sung would continue to resonate and resound in our souls this evening and throughout the week. Thank you for the reading, the public reading of Scripture and just the purity of that, hearing the Bible read. Father, we ask right now that you would again do the miraculous. Take Holy Scripture and only with the help of the Holy Spirit can we read it right, believe it right, and live it. I thank you for all my brothers and sisters who devote themselves to the Word of God and prayer and fellowship and gathering regularly in the middle of the week right now to fight the good fight of the faith. As we learned last week, we are waging the good warfare and so may the ordinary means of grace from the preaching of the word and prayer and in this weekend, the ordinances through baptism. Lord, would you help us to be a church that is growing in godliness together under the banner of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of our Lord and Savior. Fill us now, awaken us and alert us if you haven't already. Spirit of God, breathe, we pray. Wind of God, blow in this place. And all God's children said, amen. 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 Um, we're going we're gonna to move now into the text, okay? Uh, so Lord, please continue to keep us alert. Help me, help us to see what's in the Bible. Holy Spirit, will you inspire the, the writer to write and the reader to read? This is what we want. Lead us, guide us, grow us in godliness through this text we pray. Amen. So, growing up, uh, there's some life lessons that I was taught. Um, one of them is when you cross the street, you first do what? Hey, look left, right, and left again. Look both ways, right? Um, another life lesson I was taught growing up is, you know, when you get into a car, the first thing you do is... Wait, wait, what did you say down here? Close the door. I was waiting for someone to say, like, start up the car or check the mirrors, but close the door. That's a good one. But I was told, yeah, buckle up, right? Um, any of you who are going, you're getting ready to take your driver's license um, test, that's the first thing you do when you get in the car. You put the seatbelt on. Uh, don't do anything else or else you fail automatically. Uh, that's for free for you guys. Um, I was taught growing up, you know, when your clothes catch on fire, you first stop, drop, and yeah, yeah. Um, now, these are, you know, I'm glad that we all learn the same life lessons. They're important lessons. These lessons are, are kind of tailored more towards um, potential danger, crisis, you know. Um, and, and depending on what crisis you may be entering into, um, there's going to be a first step of action to that situation. You know what I mean? Like if your house is on fire, you first call the firefighter. Yeah, don't call the pizza delivery guy. Um, you know, there's going to be a first initial step. When you're in a crisis mode, we've been reading a letter that's written in a time of a crisis. Timothy, the church in Ephesus is in a, is, there's a crisis going on. 
there's wolves in the church and they're feeding off the sheep and there's a lot of deception going on and there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of bad stuff going on, Timothy. You got to step up, man. You got to do something. And then now he says in chapter 2, the first step of action is, yeah, don't whisper it. I hope you say that word powerfully tonight. What's the first step of action? Pray. Pray. Now, you know what's crazy is, you know, when the adrenaline's kicking and you and I are in fight or flight mode and, and we're in the panic, our human instinct is not to first pray. I mean, I know that to be true just in my own life. Even today, I, my daughter, we had to bring her to the doctors because, you know, I thought she may have hurt her arm or had a dislo, you know, thing going on. And um, when I went to pick her up and I was looking at her and I, all of a sudden, my first reaction was be Dr. Daddy. And I was trying to just diagnose the situation and fix her and see what I could do to make it right. And, you know, my pops comes walking through the door and he sees her, and this is what my pops does. Let's pray. I'll say this proud, that's my pop. It's his birthday this weekend, and that's my pop. And, um, you know, I, I wish I could say my first reaction was pray. But it was not. That's not instinctively our first call. When you got relationship problems, who do you first call? What do you first do? When you got work issues, when, you, when things at home or things in wherever it is you're at, you're in a crisis mode, just think, what is the first of all? What's the first thing you do? And if we're very honest with ourselves, church, our first reaction is call this person, call that, Google it, fix it on your own. But I love that in this letter, what's up, Kelly? I love that in this letter, the first thing Paul urges, what's up, bro? Grab a seat, Kel. You can grab a seat. First thing that Paul urges Timothy to do in the midst of this crisis, there's probably a bunch of things on Timothy's mind that, okay, I got to talk to this uncle, I got to do this, probably got to call a meeting with these guys. But Paul, right out the front, he says, No, Timothy, the first thing you got to do is pray. James chapter 5, he says, Is anyone suffering? Who's suffering in the house? Who has some form of pain you're, you're dealing with tonight? You can show hands. That's fine. Yeah. That would make everyone else feel, feel, feel comfortable. But then James says this. If you're suffering, this is what he says. Let him pray. Pray. I love the book of James. Brada is so simple. He's so blunt. If anyone lacks wisdom, chapter 1, ask God. Prayer, though, I would argue, is probably the most easily overlooked, most underrated, most neglected, most assumed practice in the Christian faith, and not just 2023, all the way back through the centuries when Jesus was in the crisis mode, sweating drops of blood, 
because he was about to go to Calvary to bear the sins of the world, to do what he was meant to do. It says he was so overwhelmed. He went to the garden to what? Pray. And he brought his boys with him. Guess what these boys were doing in the prayer meeting? Sleeping. I say that so you take great comfort because if you're in the house and you've slept through a prayer meeting or you snooze through or you don't even care about going to such a thing, wherever the condition you lie, we all struggle with it. Be of courage because these disciples were sleeping in the most intense prayer meeting led by the Lord Jesus. And he goes, bro, you couldn't pray with me for an hour? And again and again, he comes back and they're sleeping. He comes back and they're sleeping. Guys, our lack of prayer is a serious issue. It's a deep, wounded, flawed issue that all of us are naturally born with. We came into this world not naturally crying out to Yahweh, to the one true God. It's not in your instinct. It's not in my instinct. That's why it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit to allow us to read, comprehend, but actually live out such a verse. I would argue that this is where the church has been and still is today most week. It's fascinating to me that when training men in ministry, seminaries all across the board have oodles of classes on doctrine and preaching and maybe a slim elective on how to pray. It is so assumed. Kelly um, was here earlier today, and we was crying out there, yeah, Kels. And I won't share the circumstances Kels going to, but his reaction, his desire was to come to a church to just pray and to cry out to God. And so, Thank Kelly, bro, if you want to join us, you can go ahead and grab a seat, bro, and we, we, can, we can hook you up with some threads. Um, but go ahead and grab a seat, my man. Thank you, or you can wait outside. Up to you, bro. Wherever you're comfortable. You, we hear what you're That's right. Amen. And so, it is, like someone was saying in the observation, it's something that Paul is wanting not to just suggest, but make absolutely clear that this is a must. The title is a gospel-centered prayer life, but a prayer life nonetheless. And I hope in prayer, my prayer for all of us here, because all of us, we all struggle with it. And we're going to see as we study, there's reasons why it's a, such a struggle because prayer is one of the primary, ordinary means of God's grace. It's going to unleash the power of the gospel. Everything that Paul has been telling, instructing Timothy to do in chapter 1, chapter 2, he says, don't think, bro, you can do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayerless anything won't get, far very, won't get very far. Prayerless ministry... Prayerlessness is an addictive drug. And I say it's a drug because it's very easy to, to catch on to. It's so easy to pray less. It's only by the power of God that you can pray more. 
Prayerlessness is it's a disease. And I love that Paul says, and he starts our text tonight. First of all, the text last time we read, what did he just say? Timothy, it's going to be war. Wage the good war, buddy. And so as we get into this, into this, this text tonight, understand how serious Understand the gravity, and I hope that by the end of our, prayer, uh, of our time tonight, you would see how precious a gift, how precious the gift of prayer truly is. It would never, never become a boring thing. Keiki in the house, I've been praying for you, children who are here. If you, like myself, I've grown up, one of the blessings I had is I have praying parents. And you see mommy and daddy praying, don't think it's strange, that's so cool. You have very cool parents. If you got uncles and aunties and grandmas and grandpas who spend hours in prayer, that's so awesome. That's very cool. You ought to aspire to be that. I'll confess growing up, watching my pop pray, I didn't always think it was cool. I'll be straight. There was times where I came home with my friends and I knew pops was praying. I was not quick to bring them in the house. But now I thank to be to God because that is a mark that my father has set for me. And that's a mark that I pray I'll leave for my son. That he knows, daddy, when daddy wakes up, first of all, he prays. So we're going to get into this tonight. And out of all the things that Paul could have said first of all to do as he sent this young pastor into ministry, he says, we pick it up in our verse 1, first of all, protos pas, the first rank, the chief, the foremost the priority of Omega. And then he doesn't say it yet. He says, first of all, then I urge Parakaleo. You just feel, you see the emojis right now in Paul's text messages? It's just like, you know, whatever it would be, the emojis or whatever. He's saying, first of all, I urge that supplications. That's to ask with urgency for a particular need. That's praying for your daily bread, a supplication, prayer, prosuke, to speak, to commune, to worship God. Intercessions is petitions on someone else's behalf. So how we've been praying for one another throughout the week, that's a petition. And then he says, thanksgiving, that's thanking God for what he has done. These are all, like my sister said in observation, forms of prayer. And Paul's intent is not to give a, a deep teaching on the different types. So I'm not going to do that because that's not what he's doing. But he's saying... Prayer is priority. That's simple. Point number one, prayer is. It's not one of the top. It is priority. It is so that important. It's so important that he says in Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times with all prayer and keep alert with all perseverance making supplications for the saints. You know what's crazy is the context of that verse. Right before that, what's he talking about? Suit up, buddy. You're going to go into war. Put on the full armor of God and pray. The thing that Paul says first is so often, be honest, is it not so often the last resort for us? What we must do first is often what we do last. We wait till the last minute and then finally... And I say this not speaking down. I'm speaking with. This is my struggle as well. This is the first thing that goes. This is the weakest thing we have in follow through. It's the most thought of and well intended but so weak in follow through, is it not? 
This is not a difficult text to understand right now tonight. We're at war. And if you are awakened to the reality of the war that you and I are in every moment of the day, then Paul is saying, okay, you really want to know how to fight? The term prayer warrior is not cliche. That's real. The most prayerful people that I've known are the most beast of godly people that I will ever know. They're beasts to me. We have saints in our church, old men and women who've been praying for years. And to, in my mind, they are like the most decked out officer. They got blood all over their gear and their armor and they just know how to wage it. This is what I hope and pray we all aspire to. Why must prayer be a priority? Like, why prayer? Why did Jesus often withdraw to pray? Luke 5.16, Pastor Bob preached on this recently. Why did the apostles go up to the prayer meetings as was their custom? Acts chapter 3. Why does Jesus say, my house shall be called a house of prayer? Why was prayer something that was so passionate our, our Lord was so passionate about that he would go into the temple and flip and turn tables. And it doesn't surprise me that practicing prayer, <laughs> preaching on prayer, is something that the enemy wants to dis distract and deviate your heart and mind from so badly he don't want any of us to hone in on this god's word wants us to get this because when we get this and call upon the name of the lord and yahweh we'll see what happens in our text we'll see what happens it's something to really ponder on guys the one time you could look through the life of jesus's life on the earth that you could say he got violent was when prayer was neglected. You've made my house a house of something else. You're praying on people, P-R-E-Y, but you ain't praying, P-R-A-Y. And Jesus, John 2, was so riled up, he made whips. He got into the temple, whack, whack, turned the tables. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Paul, first of all, pray. We're so prayerless. I'm so prayerless. And I ask the Spirit of God, make me a man. Make me a father. Make me a husband. Make me a pastor that is prayerful. Please, Lord. I'll never forget this story in my life. It's, it's, it's shaped me so much when it comes to prayer. I was on a... Sav, you're 12, yeah? Correct? Forgive me. Sovereign's 13. I was a year younger than you. I was 12 years old. And at this church, I went to Mexico with a team. And we were building houses for the church. And um, there was a man on top of the roof that fell. And me and my youth pastor saw him fall. As soon as we saw him hit the, saw him hit the floor, we were scrambling, running through the house, looking for a phone. Because we were like, we got to call the ambulance. We got to do something. We're just sprinting around. Because it's very, you know... Um, impoverished neighborhood, so finding a phone was difficult. We didn't all have cell phones then. Um, and so we were looking, looking, finding, trying to find a phone. By the time me and the youth pastor got back, the whole church was on their knees around this man praying. 
And I remember as a young boy thinking to myself, they really believe in God. Out of all the things they could have done first, they fell to their knees and prayed. First point, prayer is a priority. And let me just ask and suggest, and it's a good diagnostic question to ask yourself tonight, Christian. How is your prayer life? What is your attitude towards prayer? You know what's crazy? Let me put it in perspective like this for us. Asking someone, asking me how my prayer life is, is, is like saying, how's your breathing? Oh, you know, I get to it when I can. I know I should, I know I should more, but uh, hey, Sunday's coming up and we always have that prayer of confession time, so I'll breathe then. Prayer is like breathing. Asking someone how their relationship with the Word of God is like saying, how's your eating? These are diagnostic questions for your soul tonight. And then asking someone how their life application is, how are you obeying the Bible, is, like, is asking, like, how's your exercise doing? Prayer, the Word of God, and practicing is like saying, how's your breathing, eating, and exercise? Just putting it into perspective for us because I am genuinely scared that we will read such a text and fly by and think prayer is important. Paul would say, Jesus would say, it's more than that. Now he says he moves on, you know, pray. And then he says, for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful, excuse me, in quiet life, godly, dignified in every way, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's take this section. First thing he says is all people, right? And, and you guys brought this up in observation. I love it. Why do all people need prayer? That's right. And you get that in the text tonight. He wants all to be saved. Prayer, here's the point. Prayer is priority for all people because all people need saving. You realize that? But notice, and I want to draw out that point that you guys brought up in observation. All people, every kind of person, every kind of person, Jew, Gentile, every tribe, tongue, rich or poor, young or old, Democratic or Republican, local or foreigner, all kinds of people. Here's the question. Do you have categories? Do you limit your prayer life? And when I say limit your prayer life, meaning you only pray for certain types of people? Because the Bible is saying not all people need it. Because all people are sinners, like you just said there, Hannah, and all people need a Savior. I dare you to pray for people wherever you go. I dare you to pray for your barista that makes your confusing coffee order every single day. I dare you. I dare you to take notice of your waitress's or waiter's name tag and pray for that person. I dare you to pray for the homeless person that you see on the street corner holding a sign. Help me. I would say even go closer to home. I dare you to pray for your spouse that you wake up next to every single day. Our children that scurry around us. Grandma, grandpa, uncle, auntie, that next door neighbor. We see all people all the time. And there are certain people that you see more than more than regularly, and my question is, when have you prayed for them? When have we really prayed for them and prayed this kind of a prayer, that they'd be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? 
This is a gospel-centered prayer that Paul is trying to urge. Now, interestingly, though, out of all the types of people that Paul could highlight, he zeroes in on the kings. The kings and those in high positions, the, the basileus, the leader of the land, the lord of the lands, these preeminent, these high-status individuals. Now, when I first read that, I just thought to myself, okay, interesting, because in its historical context, you know who he's talking about then? He's telling the Ephesian believers to pray for Nero, Caesar Nero, who torched Christians in his garden for fun. Look at the light of the world. These chief priests who hated Christ and these tax collectors who, and these centurions who were just as worldly as it could be, he's saying to them, pray for them. Hope. Interesting. Gut, gut punch, for sure. That stuck one in the heart. Interesting. How could, how does prayer for our president, our congressman, our government officials, our judges, our policemen, our principals, our bosses, our community leaders, our pastors. How does prayer for these people, these leaders, come to saving knowledge of Christ? You guys were on the right track in observation time. When leaders in the land do their job well and exercise authority and oversight in such a way where we can live peaceful lives, guess what? We can have peaceful conversations. And when we have peaceful conversations, guess what? We can send the knowledge of the truth. We can evangelize. Think of the places in the world where it's hardest to evangelize. It's places like North Korea. It's places like Saudi Arabia. It's places like where the government officials lead in such a way where they're oppressive and there's tyranny and there's not really any freedom in the land, those are the places that we ought to learn how to cultivate prayer for their leaders. Why? What's on Paul's mind? What's on his heart? Because souls need saving, and the only way a soul can get saved is in conjunction with knowing the knowledge of the truth. Everything we've been talking about in chapter 1, Timothy, people are not going to hear it. They're not going to know it unless, unless we're able to communicate it. And here's the thing. Here's a tactic. Here's a strategy. Here's wisdom from God. Let's pray for the leaders to lead in such a way. We are blessed, church, to live in America thus far. We are blessed. Look at what we're doing tonight. No one's blazing through. I'm not getting shot at with bullets. There's no police cars outside ready to lock us up. We're blessed by those who've gone before us and prayed for the leaders of this land. And thus far, thus far, we have an opportune time to preach the gospel. And, and I say thus far because we must keep praying for our leaders. I love one of the current events in the life of our church is we have an opportunity to connect and pray for our police in that there was, um, there's, there's, there's a situation up here on our parking lot and that just transpired to connections and allowing us to bridge a gap and have a relationship and let them utilize our parking lot as like a, a, a refreshment hub. But what's crazy is now in the leadership and amongst the staff, what we're excited about is an opportunity to actually not just pray, but get to know our police officers. The Bible says this is good and pleasing in the sight of God. 
So whatever preconceptions or emotions or opinions that we all came to the Bible with towards our, like what Hannah was saying in, in um, observation time, we might think this leader, this politician is like, ugh, and that may be true. Therefore, the Bible says, pray. Sounds a lot like Jesus, right? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Guess who's persecuting the church right now? The kings and those in high positions right now in the church in Ephesus. Can you imagine how hard it must have been for Timothy to read that to the people? we got to pray for our kings, Nero. Can you imagine? Sure. There must have been so much bitterness reading this verse. And there might be bitterness in the house tonight. But here's something to think about. Jesus is very insightful on his teaching on prayer. He says, love your enemies. Love. And then what's the application? How to love? Pray. There is something about prayer that is so rooted in love that it's true. It's hard to hate someone when you're praying for them all the time. It's just very true. The people you love the most are probably the people you pray for the most. So if you ever wonder why you're lacking love for him or her or this person, ask yourself, well, how's your prayer for them? I would guarantee it's slim to none. Because there's something supernaturally miraculous and beautiful about when we learn to pray for all people, especially those in authority, what wells up in our hearts is love. And I think this, this, this instruction for the church is just as much for them as it is for the kings and the high officials. That those kings get saved, but it's just as much for them. It's so their hearts don't get overcome with bitterness. It's so that they don't, if Nero decides to break down the door and persecute, if our president or if our governing officials start to persecute us, can you imagine from day one we've been praying for them and you know how anointedly yoked in love you and I will be on that day if it comes when we are persecuted church, we are going to live like supernaturally weird, like we're not even of this world. People are going to see love and Christianity in a way that they've never seen before. This was God's intent, and this is how we become that type of a people. To love our enemies? How are you going to get there? You have to start, first of all, with prayer. This is a powerful, powerful text when applied. I love this story I was reading recently about uh, Albert Benjamin Simpson. He's the the founder of uh, Christian Missionary Alliance movement um, denomination, it was said of him that every morning by his bedside you could find him clutching his arms around a globe, praying with tears. That's a beautiful picture, right? You could find the man with a globe that he'd keep by his bed. He's just hugging that thing, praying for all people of the world. It's a beautiful thing. Lord, teach us to pray. Why? Because God's desire is for all people to be saved and come to know him. You have to hear the evangelistic heartbeat of our God right there. This is priority. Think now. Think think deeply of the people in your life. Think of your family. Think of your friends. Think of your coworkers. Do we care? Do we really care about their soul? That's a real big question. And if we lack love, the Bible is telling us how to cultivate it. Pray. Jesus was the foremost model of this. He said while they were pinning into the tree, Father, forgive them. 
He prayed for the people pinning him to the cross. Prayer is priority. Every human being needs prayer. We all fall short, guys. I am 100% confident that I am a born-again, regenerate believer because there was people in my life, starting with my parents, prayed for me. If you're here tonight and your heart beats for Christ, you know what? I just want to remind you it's because someone prayed for you. Praying for you. Man, I love prayer. I could preach a prayer forever. Let's keep on going. Verse 5. There's more to say on it. Verse 5. For there's one God, one mediator between God and men. So point number two, sorry, was prayer is a priority for all people because all people need saving. Uh, verse 5. One God, one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. What a juicy verse. First thing we see that's obvious. One. 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 There's one God. Not two, not three. One. My man. Monotheistic. There's one. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, 4. And then there's one mediator. Mediator. Now what is that? One who reconciles, who intervenes. Mediation is one who gets in between and bridges the gap. This is speaking to the uniqueness of Christ. There is only one who can do this. There is only one who's, who has the ability to, be, to bridge man and God. Jesus uniquely was fully God, Colossians 2. He's uniquely fully man, Hebrews 4. And fully God and fully man, he bridged the gap, Philippians chapter 2. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant in human likeness. He humbled himself. He came obedient to death and death on a cross. Christ is the only mediator. If I were to try to mediate for you, we'd get nowhere. I could love you and I can sincerely care about you and give my life for you and take a bullet. And I may spare you for like a second. And that's it. You're still going to die. You're still going to have to answer to God for your sin. So that's why Christ is like, they got to hear this knowledge, man. they got to know this. That only Christ can save. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. This is so foundational in our faith, church. Paul is trying to make that very clear. All people need saving. And there's only one who can save the man, Christ Jesus. That's the point for this text. Only one. His name, Christ Jesus, Acts 4.12. There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And I love that he puts these details in. And he gave himself as a ransom. It's a gift that's granted. It's a provision. It's a means for the release of a prisoner. That's this word, ransom. You and I are enslaved to our sin, totally unable to save ourselves. That's how we all came into the world. In sin did my mother conceive you, Psalm 51. And there's only one man who has the means and the ability to set you free, and he did it by ransoming himself. Meaning this is the gift he provided, his blood his atonement. We're coming to Easter. And here's a big scare for me and my soul and my family. Is that Easter's going to come. And we're not going to really reflect on the ransom. It's going to be cheap. This is not cheap. 
Take texts like Isaiah 53, read it, and drench your heart with it. He was despised and rejected by men. I'm going to read to you how he paid in ransom. A man of sorrows, he acquainted with grief as one from whom men hid their faces. We esteemed him not. Surely he was born for our griefs. He carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. You see how easy it is to miss the ransom? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This Easter, as we approach Passion Week, please, please cry out to God and say, Lord Jesus, let me see the ransom glory. You're not going to see it, church, unless you pray and beg God for eyes, spiritual eyes. Like I want it to be so fresh from my heart that it's hard to sing songs like nothing but the blood and not be moved. And not just be moved for a moment with a song. Moved to the point where it's like, we got to pray for our president. we got to pray for our government. we got to pray for the community. And i got to get out there and start sharing. This is why, this is why I think Paul ends with verse 7. Look at this flow. It's just, it's just beautiful. And then he says, well, here we go before we get to verse 7. This is the testimony given, the martyrion, the witness, the testimony, the information that's provided at this proper time, this due season. This testimony, this treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a limited time offer, guys. It's a limited time offer to respond to this knowledge of the truth for you, for me, and everyone we know and love and care about. Today is the opportune time. Today is the day of salvation. You breathing tonight? There's time. This is the opportune time. What you going to do about it? You're living in your sin this evening? faking it, acting like, but you know deep down in your soul you're rebellious still to the core. You don't love God. You don't love Christ. Well, I have good news for you tonight, friend. Now is the proper time. Today is the day of salvation. Trust in Christ. Believe in his ransom. Believe that he gave himself in love. 2 Corinthians 6, it says this, now is the favorable, favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Hebrews, third, Hebrews chapter 3, brothers, take care lest any of you have an unbelieving heart. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. Don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as it was in the rebellion. Now is the time. Beloved Christian, this testimony you have in your heart, it's a limited time off. What are you doing with it? What are we doing with it? As we pray, you know what will naturally flow out? We preach and we pour our lives out. Pray, preach, and pour, and pray, and preach, and pour. And this is the flow of gospel ministry. So we end our text tonight, verse 7. For this I was appointed preacher, that's a herald 
of the truth, a proclaimer, what I'm doing right now, I'm proclaiming something. You want to know the difference between preaching and teaching? Preaching declares something. Like, if you don't brush your teeth, you're going to have stink breath. That's a preaching thing. And, and no one's going to want to talk to you, not within a five-foot radius. And you wonder why your friends is, you know, I'm preaching right now. Brush your teeth. Now, the teacher will be the dentist, he says, because if you do not brush your teeth, you're going to have these things called, what is it? I was going to say germs. Plaque. You know, plaque and all that. And then they're going to break down why when you don't brush, it stinks. That's the difference between preaching and teaching. So the preacher, Paul is saying, i got to tell people it's good. And then i got to break it down and explain to them why Christ and Christ alone can do it. For this, I was appointed a preacher, a teacher, an apostle. He's, the, he's an authoritative office. He brings the, the word of Christ and he's planting churches. This is all various forms. Just like he went off on prayer, all the types of prayer, this is all the types of ministry, um, word ministry. Here's the last point to close. Prayer and the ministry of the word, they go hand in hand. We can't separate them. They go hand in hand, guys. Now, my argument, and if I were to write a book, I would write something on this, but I would argue that those things go hand in hand. Those are the two wings that fly the plane, and where we're lacking the biggest disconnect is prayer. And that's why our preaching is very ineffective. That's why you don't have a lot of spirit-empowered preachers and teachers today. You don't pray. You got a lot of information with no love, no punch. But prayer and ministry, they go hand in hand. And I'll show you this from the Bible. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, when the church got set off and there was disunity in the church, there's an issue. The elders or the apostles at the time, the forerunners of elders, said, we need to devote ourselves to prayer. First, they said prayer. That's crazy. That's key. Prayer and the ministry of the word. They're both super duper important. You have to have sound doctrine. We saw that in chapter one. But all you got to be a people that pray. If we want spirit-empowered evangelism and discipleship, missions work in our families, our communities, our churches, our, our, our world, we must pray. Prayer is priority. We ought to be praying our knees off for the souls of men. Please, please don't just wait for Easter. Get on your knees tonight and pray. Prayer and the ministry of the word go hand in hand. Paul is ending saying, this is, he's speaking of his specific role, but this applies for all Christians. This is why he's saying, I'm, a, I'm appointed this, but Timothy, I'm appointing you as a, as a pastor. And the Great Commission, Jesus appoints all of us to do this. Go, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Baptize, teach, preach, but please be sure that at the heart of it all, you're praying. I spoke to those in the house who this might connect you, but, you know, I, I've heard young men come up to me and say that they feel a sense of call to the ministry. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this with all my heart, and not just to you guys, but to all of us as a church, as we affirm leaders in our church, that you aspire, we aspire, but you foremost, if you're going to be an elder and a model example to the church, you have to be a man of prayer. Why then does verse 8 say then, we're not going to get there next week, but he says, I want men everywhere to what? Pray. Just putting that out there. This is so important. 
don't preach a Christ to people when you don't go to Christ in prayer on behalf of the people you're preaching to. You know, non-believers, they can still, they can smell insincerity. You know that. We can smell insincerity. There's a difference I know when someone's trying to preach to me truth and they genuinely love and care about me. I can smell it. I can sense it. So can everybody else. But where do you get that authenticity and sincerity? In the presence of God on your knees pleading for their soul. And he pours out his spirit upon you. And it's the love of Christ that compels you. And you may not sound the coolest, the most polished, or have it all together, but they know when you're speaking to me, you mean what you mean, and it's in love. This is what we need to do, church. We need to pray. I'm going to close on this quote. I love this. This is Richard Baxter. He's a mighty 17th century English pastor, poet. And he writes this in his Puritan devotions, a golden treasury of Puritan devotions. He says, let your heart yearn for your ungodly neighbors. Alas, there's but a step between them and death and hell. Many hundreds of diseases are waiting, ready to seize on them. And if they die unregenerate, they will be lost forever. Have you hearts of rock that cannot pity such a case as this? Do you not care? Who is damned as long as, it, as you are saved? If so, you have sufficient cause to pity yourself, for it is a frame of spirit utterly inconsistent with grace. Do you live close by these people? Do you meet them in the streets or at work or with them in travel? Do you sit with them? Do you talk with them and say nothing to them about their souls? Then he says, If their houses were on fire... Would you not run and help? Will you not help them when their souls are almost at the fire of hell? Brothers, sisters, to have such a heart and to keep it, we must cultivate and keep it by the power of prayer. It's the only way. It's what the Bible says. It's all I've known to be true in my life. When I'm lacking love and concern, genuine concern for you, it's because I stopped praying through the directory. It's because I got weak and soft on that. It's because I will show up to a prayer meeting and robotically, mechanically go through the motion of praying for the church. None of that. Gospel-centered prayer is the heartbeat of our God. If nothing else, you need to hear an application tonight. I hope it's obvious. Pray. But let me give you some, some wisdom in closing, just some suggestions. Because I know that all of us have that heart. I, I, I believe that we're all, we have, we're well-intended prayer people. We are. But here are just some suggestions and things that I want to encourage us. First, for your personal prayer life. This is just how I, I this has been helpful for me. But I, I have a personal prayer guide, meaning it's just a series of questions that trigger prayer for me. And I have it in my Bible um, and I ask these eight questions to myself every single day. This is just a, pr- a practical way for you to apply something. I have eight questions. The first question I'll ask is, are you glorifying God and enjoying him forever? I'll ask my soul that, then I start to pray something to that effect. I don't enjoy you. 
I'm struggling to glorify you. I forgot it was all about you this morning. I thought it was all about me. Number two, I'll say, is the love of Christ stirring your affections in life and ministry? Number three, are you living in light of his return? I ask myself these questions to guide me in prayer. Are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Are you pouring into and discipling your children? Will you gladly spend and be spent for the members of your church? Will you make every effort to preach, teach, and live out the gospel? Are you praying more than you're preaching? Are you praying more than you're pouring? I have a series of questions to guide my train of thought into getting into prayer. You will not accidentally pray. You have to be deliberate. And all the forces of hell are going to try to keep you from doing stuff like this. So I'm trying to set you up for success by means of application and wisdom. Here's another one. To be deliberately devoted, pray with other people. I mean, do that. Utilize the church to pray for the church. This is, you know, if you just show up to our Sunday service or a Wednesday night, you're going to end up praying. That's a great place to start. That's a great place to start. We have a Sunday evening prayer meeting. That's a great place to start. But beloved, prayer is not something that you will stumble across. You choose to pray. It takes faith to pray. It takes the anointed power of the Spirit of God to pray. So, we'll pray. And as we sing, you'll pray. And let me just encourage you right now that if God has your heart and you're, you're starting to have appetites for it, that's a huge thing. And even if you're lacking the appetite for it, pray for that. Pray for that. And Nike says it well. Just do it. Just do it. Once I have an urge or someone comes on my mind, I, I'm, I've disciplined myself enough to, like, I just go into it. I don't wait it. I don't think. I don't say, I'm gonna, I, I should really start praying for that. I go and do it ASAP. So let me pray for us. We'll sing. And oh, I pray that God would have blessed your heart tonight. Lord, our Father in heaven, you are holy and you are true. You are the only one who can save. You are the greatest need of all of humanity. And you know this and you've told us this. And Lord, we know this to be true. But just like Paul in Romans 7, we know the good we ought to do. But if we're honest, when it comes to prayer, we really struggle to carry it out. We settle for these prayers to go and these kind of lighthearted, lofty, throw it up in the sky. But we sure don't look like our Lord who, Mark 135, got up early in the morning while it was still dark and he went out to a solitary place to pray. Luke 5.16, where Jesus often withdrew to pray. But perhaps we have the attitude of the disciples in Luke 11, verse 1, when they said, Lord, teach us. Teach us to pray. Whatever it is you just did right there, teach us to do that. Not these religious, robotic types of prayer, but real affection and intercession and, and just going to God. What is that? It's amazing to think that there are people on this planet that even if we wanted to tonight, we'd probably have a hard time getting a hold of or making any kind of contact. There are famous people that even if we wanted to, there's no way we could go give them a call right now after this. 
And yet, the God of the ages, as we read last week, the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, our precious Jesus, we can come to you in the breath of a moment right now. Oh, what a blessing prayer is. I pray, we pray that we would know this. Teach us, Lord, to first of all pray. So lead us, guide us, God, and as we sing, send us out praying and praying in such a way where we overflow into preaching and pouring our lives out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. made us alive through Christ alone for and we thank the Lord that he's done so go in his grace in peace amen amen